0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
1: You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job on Blue Wire. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and it is an honor today to be joined by ESPN's Shelly Smith. Shelly is inspiring, candid, and all around amazing. She opens up about everything from overcoming cancer and a stroke to how to get your story while still being responsible. She opens up about personal and professional struggles, and this is an incredible podcast for anyone looking to work in the sports industry. So Fangirl Nation, let's get to it. Shelly, thank you so much for joining me today for Get My Job.
2: Gracie, how did you get this idea to start a podcast? That's what I really want to know. This is not about you. This is about me asking you questions.
1: All right, well then, here we, here we go. You know, it's, it's <laughs> funny, um, well with Fangirl Sports Network, we really are creating, trying to create a community around women who are female fans and women who want to work in sports. And I wanted to create a, a platform also for women looking to work in sports and who wanted to get involved and create content around their mm-hmm. favorite teams and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. And so Get My Job, this is our first season doing it. We launched it uh, this past September. And it really, I have to give a lot of credit to my marketing team who really came up with the Mm -hmm. idea of doing it. And I wanted to give, you know, young women coming into the industry and just people who have been in the industry a chance to listen to those who've been there, those who've been doing it, get advice, learn from obstacles and mistakes. And it's
0: been, thank
2: you. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's great. And you can have my job. Right now, I'm about ready to give it up. (laughs) Oh, great. Well. In that case, you guys, this
1: has been awesome. I've loved spending time with you, and we'll, we'll talk soon. <laughs> this, is, this has been the most productive Get My Job and the most literal Get My there Job. There you time. go.
2: You can have it. Great. Well, <laughs> no, I love love my job. I love it. And, and I, I'm probably going to retire in the next, well, I don't know, three or four, five, six, seven, eight years, and uh, I will be sad, but I'm it's sure a great job. Be-
1: so that was a good. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like a Tom Brady. I'll probably retire in the next three, four, five, six, seven yeah, eight years. I'm I like know.
2: that. But I'm not going to move and in, move into an eight million dollar house in Connecticut. But that's that. That's the difference between me and Tom Brady.
1: And that's the only difference between you and Tom Brady. That's
2: the only difference. Exactly.
1: <laughs> that's it. I would
2: have. I would have won Sunday, though. But okay.
1: I have, you know <laughs> anyway. what? I have no doubt. I have no doubt that that is true.
2: Yeah, of course.
1: Uh, Fire well, away. So- all right, so you've been doing this a while. You've been an incredible inspiration. A long
2: time,
1: a long time. <laughs> what, what year, if you don't mind me asking, what year is this covering no. the NFL?
2: Well, I cover everything. So um, it's like I do whatever they tell me to do.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you
2: know, we'll, we'll work for food and money and drinks. And um, I got out of college in 1981. And I started with Sports Illustrated in 1987, <laughs> oh, right before the Olympics in Korea. And then okay. I um, moved over to ESPN in '92, part time, and then I went full time in '97. So you do the math, but I don't. It's a lot—a long time.
1: That is—that is a long time. And was sports always the goal?
2: Yes, I. Um, my mom was. We lost her a year ago. And oh, I'm sorry. she was the biggest, eh, thank you. She was the biggest football fan I know. And she used to answer the phone. We, we all went to Nebraska to school. And she, Nebraska would play Colorado and she would answer the phone, screw CU. You know, she <laughs> just was funny and she loved them Broncos and she loved to bet. And she and I had our own like syndicate and it was just, we had so much fun. I and mean, we never bet more than like $2, but mm-hmm. it was a blast. And it was became became very serious. So I actually went to college with the idea of becoming a secretary because I was very good at typing. And I thought, well, that's what I should do. And then I took a photography class and then I took a news writing class and I absolutely fell in love with it. Just, I think I have a natural curiosity for things, which has kept me going for how many years did we figure that out? Um, well, if you've been, I, I don't get a long time.
1: Huh? 20, Twenty-two since you went yeah. full time at ESPN, and thirty-two right. since you started at SI.
2: Very good. Thank you. <laughs> um, I have a natural curiosity. I don't get tired of um, being nosy. I don't get tired. I, I need to know why why something happened, what happened, who did what, and that has not changed in thirty-two years or whatever it is, but. Um, And I think that's what keeps me going. It's because I have a natural passion for being nosy and wanting to know everybody else's business.
1: And that would serve you well as a reporter. (laughs) Yes,
2: Yes, it
1: does. It does. Though I guess kind of piggybacking on that a little bit, because one of the things we Mm -hmm. do want to talk about in the show is, is giving people advice. And to a, a reporter who is just starting out or midway through his or her career what is that fine line between being nosy and persistent and knowing when to pull back?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And I often don't <laughs> don't always do it, but um you just have to have good judgment. And you know, so you don't want to ask Tom Brady, you know, what his personal life is like with Giselle or you do, but you know that's not appropriate. So you just have to use good judgment and good reasoning. And there's only been a couple of times when I've felt myself being pulled at. Like, I shouldn't ask that. I shouldn't be there. And one of them was when Hank Gathers died suddenly. I don't know. You probably don't even know him. You're, you weren't even born yet. But he I do. I do. Yeah, I do died. know the story for sure. You do? Okay. Do. So he died, and I was uh, – First person to the emergency room, and his mom came out of the emergency room just screaming. And I thought, Oh my God, I don't know if I should be here. I stayed, but I didn't stay for long because there was a news conference going on upstairs. But I got the scene setter, you know, of his mom, just heart wrenching. I'll never forget it. Um, the way she was screaming and crying, and then the whole family was there, and the doctors were there, and I just couldn't do it I don't know if I how I would be now knowing me I probably would have gone up and put my arm around her or something you know and but um at that time I was very young and I was. um, A little shocked by the situation, but that was one of the few times that I think I pulled back on something that I really wanted to know and every other time I think. All right, it's my job, you gotta do this, you gotta find this out. There are times you don't wanna be there. There was a time, uh, well, after Hank died, we, I went to Philadelphia and did a story on his background and I didn't wanna walk up to houses and knock on doors, but I did. There are things you have to do in this job that you don't wanna do, but you know you have to do it. But it's not very often. It's really not very often. And um, Nancy Tao was another one. We got beat on the story. And I had to go out to the neighborhood here in L.A. and knock on doors. And you, you know that scene in uh, All the President's Men where they finally get somebody who invites him in and says, would you like some coffee? And they're like, yes, yes, I would. I would like some coffee. You probably don't know that movie either. But I know. I do guys, know the movie. <laughs> okay. Um, and so he's like, no, but my sister knows uh, the guy who catfished Manti. And she's at a soccer banquet now. Would you like to come in? I went. Yes, yes, I would like to come in. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there, there's, there's, you have to just play it by ear, and you have to use trust your own judgment, and trust your own gut as to what the right thing to do is. And I, I can't think of any other good examples right now, but just life experience helps you a lot, and knowing what to do and what not to do helps you a lot. If that makes any sense, but
1: it does. And right, do you – you, yes, no, that totally made sense. <laughs> um, and I <laughs> – that made, that made a lot of sense, and I think it's it's very right. good advice. I actually have two kind of follow-ups to that. The first being, mm-hmm. are you – does everybody kind of have to be prepared sometimes to make the mistake and push too hard when they shouldn't, and that's how they learn? Or do you think that there's a natural instinct that should tell people, now is when you stop?
2: Oh, geez, that's good. Probably a little bit of both. I mean, I think – uh I don't think I've ever pushed too hard. I did the story on Nebraska football and Tom Osborne hated me for years after that. I don't care if people hate me. And, and I, I teach two classes at USC and I just finished them last night. And I tell, I left him with the message. As long as you're professional, accurate, fair, and responsible, you don't care if anyone's mad at you or not. Mm-hmm. So as long as you're doing those four things, I think it's four, um, you're not pushing too hard. As long as you're fair, accurate, responsible, and professional, then you're not pushing too hard. So I think it's gut checking yourself every now and then and wondering, am, is this, am I doing the right thing? Is this the right thing to be doing? And if you can answer yes to all of those, like I didn't speak to Kobe Bryant for 12 years because I reported on his rape, rape trial. And I reported not so much on the trial, but I mean, I did report on the trial, but what I reported was that a lot of NBA teammates were not going to speak up around him because he broke what was considered a locker room code by ratting out Shaq to the police. He told the police, I should have just have done what Shaq did. Shaq's paid 5 million, you know, millions of dollars to women to keep them quiet. So that came out in the police reports. And I reported that, and I have a lot of good sources and they said oh he's going to walk on the bus and nobody's going to say a thing he's going to walk in a room and nobody's going to say so i reported that and he came out the next day and i showed up and the pr person told me he's never going to speak to you again and i was like oh all right well i don't think they're going to be good for a while so we'll be okay but and they weren't and i didn't and i had my producer would go and ask the questions and we would work him into the story but i mean i can remember walking up to him on the court and the pr dude everybody forgot about it except for me and him um because he goes yeah we'll give you kobe and i'm like what and he goes yeah and so and you can see it on tnt's coverage because he was doing craig sager god rest his soul one of my favorite people and you can see kobe turn and he talks to the pr guy, and he goes oh hell no because they were going to send him over to me so it was very public for a while and it's written in Roland Lazenby uh, wrote it in his book on Showtime um, but I didn't care I it didn't affect my coverage I knew I did nothing wrong I was all those things I just mentioned mm-hmm. and he didn't see it that way he didn't see it that way and I, I do not care and my bosses didn't care they thought it was you know a great reporting job and and they knew I was those four things and so it, it never affected our coverage no no the public never knew except for when I started talking about it and so I think that wasn't pushing too hard and that was a judgment call but I felt like it was a necessary judgment call because why wouldn't you ask about that Mm -hmm. so there you have it you know sometimes it costs you and sometimes you lose relationships because as long as you're true to yourself um, then nobody should care except for your bosses you um, and you're true to yourself. That's all that counts.
1: Wow, that's amazing! What an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Well,
2: that's... and and now we're BFS, Kobe and I, because we made up. Because I got breast cancer, and all it all I did was take breast cancer to get Kobe to talk to me after 12 years of silence. And then now we're BFS. <laughs> no, that's... we're not. But we're we're we are friendly now.
1: But you're friendly now. Well, time, yeah. time has a way of doing that. But you, you brought up something else I wanted to talk about. You did get breast cancer, and you, I think you were pretty public about that and talking oh, about yeah. your journey there. And then you later suffered a stroke. You've obviously really been able to come back in spades. But can you talk about that and about how your kind of personal coverage of that, what it was like to be a little bit on the other side of that, that story?
2: Yeah, actually, you probably don't know this, but I had three different kinds of cancer. I had melanoma, breast cancer, and uterine cancer, Uh all in a span of about six years. And then I had, since then, I've had two joint replacements. I'm having another one on December 10th because my mother gave me bad genes and I have arthritis. And yeah, I had a stroke, but I had a stroke in absolutely the best place you possibly could, which was the Warriors locker room. And they got me into an ambulance and they got aspirin in my blood and I, it, it, it was an ischemic and so it, it burst and it went, whatever. But it, it has changed my perspective on life because, first of all, I used to hate reading Twitter because people were really mean to me. But you get cancer and then suddenly they're very nice to you. Um, and so I used to, you know, wake up in the middle of the night and read Twitter, which is so bizarre but people were so nice to me. And I, it took me a long time to decide whether I wanted to announce it or not. And I, I was diagnosed in March. And I didn't announce it until October 1st, the day of breast cancer month. And I thought, eh, should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I do it? And I'm like, ah, I'm just going to do it. And I pushed 10. And all of a sudden, my, you know, your phone blows up when you get a tweet. Was ding, 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 ding. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I think I was, I was really one of the first Robin Roberts was ahead of me and had it way worse than I did. Um, but I was one of the first on air reporters to announce that I had breast cancer. And then I'm sure I was the first on air reporter to go bald on TV. And Mm -hmm. I decided that wearing a wig wasn't me. I'm not that way. I'm the kind of person that I would wear colored contacts, and they go, "Oh, your eyes are so green." I'm like, "Ah, they contacts." You know, I just can't pull it off a lie mm-hmm. like that. And so I just, I just went bald. And I, my first assignment was in Hawaii because it was Marcus Mariota's draft, and I went, and I couldn't have been happier because it was windy and you know, sand blowing everywhere. And I, I, I said to Trey Wingo on air, I said, "This is the first time in my career I haven't had to worry about my hair." Because it would just, you know, blow all over, and it was it was liberating. And my oncologist told me that it would help other women. This is really why I decided um, help other women and help break the stigma of going through chemotherapy, because there is still a stigma, and it's a very personal decision. And like Holly Rowe decided, she got a wig and she wore a wig until they finally convinced her to take it off. Not they, I mean the players that she was interviewing. Um, so it was, uh, it was liberating, it was painful, it was, um, uncomfortable, it was, my, my good girlfriends came out, and I call them now my chemo sobbies, because they came out and helped <laughs> me through chemo, and we ended up making a good thing out of it, you know, it was a horrible thing to go through, and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, uh, because you just, it's scary, and it's, Not fun, but I got through it and I, um, it's been five years now. So I guess I'm considered cancer free. And now if I could just get my joints to behave, then I'd be fine. But it was life changing. Absolutely. Oh, I'm sure.
1: But I think that that's, you brought up a very good point that it was inspiring and helpful for other women. And I think your story, you know, has been, and that's so important and, I think, as women, and we talk about this a lot on this podcast, um, Mm -hmm. how important it is to support each other, that we're better together. And in this particular situation, that's something so personal, but really is an incredible thing that you did for so many
2: women out there. Well, thank you for saying that. I hope I I did, and I hope I continue to do it. I continue to give speeches, and I just dedicated the Hunt Cancer Center here in in, uh, Torrance, uh, which was really a wonderful event, and my oncologist was there, and he introduced me, and I, he's very shy. He's, he's an oncologist, for God's sake.
0: <laughs> and I got
2: up, and I said, probably very strange for you to interview me with, or talk to me with all my clothes on. And he just, he turned right red. He couldn't <laughs> stand it, but that's just me, you know. And, uh, but I'm very proud of what I can do little things like that in the community to help. And I, you know, go to relay for life and I go to, I don't do a lot of cancer walks because I can't walk. <laughs> Maybe oh, next, right, week the week joint. next year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe after the yeah. surgery. Yeah. But uh, in that, that part of my life, it's been, but you know what else is funny, Tracy, is that it's like you get cancer and they give you a trophy. I thought I got all these awards from places wanting to give me awards for no reason other than, having cancer and I said, What what about my journalism? You know, what about the stories I did on Jake? And and I did win an Emmy for Jake Olson, the, the blind kid from USC who snaps the ball who I told you about. And mm-hmm. um you know, so but I have all these trophies now and I don't know what to do with them. It's like it's like when you they're not participation trophies, so worse. <laughs> <They're> trophies <laughs> that, for that's... for having cancer. And I'm like, I don't deserve a trophy for that. But we did do a fundraiser at my house, and we raised $2,000, which is not a lot of money, but the men and um, the Breast Cancer Society sent me a trophy. So that one I do like. That's so, awesome. Yeah.
1: Well, well, speaking of the stories that you've done, there's the one that you mm-hmm. you got the Emmy for. And I think – well, and something also I'm really noticing in this conversation and I think will translate very much to your work is there is seems to be a theme for you – that you're a fighter and you're a doer and you're true to yourself. And that's why I think you've been successful in every mm. facet of your life. And so with that in mind, I'd love to talk a little bit about some of the stories you've covered and what I was gonna ask you, your most rewarding and your most challenging. You spoke about the can Gather story and that may end up being your most challenging, but if not, I'd love to hear what some of the others were. That but was- first, let's start with rewarding.
2: Rewarding Jake Olson was, we spent nine years following Jake, and we first got the assignment. Uh, I was on my way to Notre Dame to cover USC, Notre Dame. It was the Reggie Bush, Matt Liner ears.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I got a call from Michael Fountain, one of my bosses. I have bosses, like, up the waz. <laughs> anyway, they called me and he told me about this story, and I had to pull over off the highway because I was so struck by this 12-year-old boy who had a month of sight left that it just floored me. And I didn't know what to expect. And I got off, you know, out of my car at Notre Dame and he was already on the field with his family and I didn't know what they were gonna do and what they were gonna say. But fortunately his mom doesn't like Oprah because the people at his church were gonna call Oprah. And she goes, no, I don't, I don't like Oprah. So they called game day and uh, we ended up spending and having a great time with him. And he is so funny, he is just hilarious and He'll say things like, he has a standard joke when he goes to speak. And we're doing a lot of speaking engagements because I egg him on and he eggs me on it. But he'll say, all right, raise your hands if you're a Bruins fan, meaning UCLA. And mm-hmm. he goes, oh, I don't see any. Well, <laughs> he's blind, you right. know. I mean, and, and, and we did a story when he started snapping. And he would look, the coach would have the board out, the whiteboard, writing on plays on a whiteboard. And he'd be leaning in like he was looking and watching it. And they just and people don't notice these things but i do because i i know what he's been through and i remember the day he had his eye removed i remember um being extremely emotional and that doesn't happen to me very often you know doing stories but this one was this one got me and that one was very rewarding and being able to win the emmy and Give a speech and thank him and his family uh, was was very rewarding. And Nancy Devaney was the producer, and she did a tremendous job of putting it all together. While well, mean, i you know, I mean, editing it. And, how and then challenging, you know? yeah. The Hank Gather story was challenging because I was walking around North Philly. This is when I was still at Sports Illustrated. Hmm. Um, that was incredibly challenging. Um, I don't know what else. It, it, it's like. You know, I, and I, oh, I I just landed a, a I don't want to say it yet because I don't want to jinx it, but there are some stories that are really hard to land. All right, I did Michael Thomas. That so was really hard to land, even though I've known him since he was in diapers. But I said, if, if it was easy, everybody could do it. So that's what I tell myself, like, every day. If, if this mm-hmm. job was easy, everybody would be doing it. And so anytime I land a hard one, a really difficult get, and it's harder and harder to get to get because there's so many of us out here now. Mm -hmm. Um, I tell myself, you know, you just work harder than anyone else and see what happens. And if you get it, you get it. And if you don't, you don't. And I worked on Lamar Odom who I've known for 10 years and I still haven't gotten him. And I just finally had to let it go because he's just not, he won't answer his phone. He won't answer anything. um, I spent two days chasing Alan Iverson, who had told me on FaceTime, oh, I love you, I love you, yes, come down, we'll do anything you want, blah, 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 and then I couldn't find him. He didn't show up, he didn't, and we had an extensive crew hired for two days in, I forget where we were, Atlanta, North Carolina, I don't know, but sometimes you have to just let it go, and those two will probably bug me the rest of my life, Lamar Odom and Alan Iverson and Mm -hmm. you know i see alan do things on tv but it's i know he's being paid because it's adidas sponsoring it or whoever he's with these days Mm -hmm. and i just some people are not good people and i just have to lamar is a good person i just don't think he knows what he's doing Mm -hmm. i think his brain is is fried and i think he's confused and i know he just got engaged but um it's it's difficult some people are not good people and some people don't care if they win you over or screw you over. And once you get that through your head, then it's a little easier to accept defeat. But uh, I'm still going to try because it was easy. Everybody could do it. So I I do tell myself that all the time.
1: I think that's good advice, though. And I think Mm -hmm. also what you just said is some people don't care if they win you over or screw you over. And that's not just good advice in this industry. It's good advice for life.
2: Exactly. <laughs> exactly
1: some exactly. people just don't care and when you just don't care when you can accept that in life I think it makes everything a lot easier
2: yeah I agree I agree so, so how, I, I, I think that's okay. what well, I was going to say I think that's what my illnesses and joint issues have taught me is not to take everything so seriously Hmm.
1: that's probably true and probably also not
2: personally right right exactly
1: so, how have you seen over the last several years? How have you seen this industry change for women and, and opportunities grow?
2: I think there are a million opportunities for women in this industry. Um, maybe not necessarily on air, but if you were, if you want to edit, you want to produce, you want to. Uh, be in PR, you want to be in marketing, there are a million opportunities. And there are on-air opportunities. There's podcasts, there's radio shows, there's blogs. Um, and I think it's only gotten better for women. And we see tons of women out in the field now. And it used to be like, I used to know everybody, every female there was. and But now we see a lot of people out there. And I think that um, the industry has changed. The, the rules haven't changed, but the mediums, have changed. There are, like I said, podcasts and radio and blogs and tweets. And I mean, the rules have not changed. And some people don't understand that, that the rules of journalism still exist. And they exist even more so, I think, with social media. And I've been guilty myself of tweeting something I shouldn't have. And not following the rules of journalism, not checking it out, not double checking it out, not confirming two sources. And I did it, I was at USC. And honestly, I was scared because I had heard that there was, it was right after Las Vegas. And I had heard that there was an active shooter on campus. And I was sitting in the campus police station when I heard it. So I tweeted it and I called the news desk and went on radio. And then as I was thinking about it, i kept saying it's not confirmed it's not confirmed i had to backtrack and i learned a valuable lesson that day and and i think it was because i was scared there was a shooter on campus and we didn't know where it was and it it wasn't a shooter it was somebody who made a gun sound and then everybody panicked because it was the day after las vegas Mm. and that's when i learned you know it doesn't matter if you're scared if you're embarrassed if you're humiliated whatever you need to follow the rules of journalism and i will never make i hope never make that mistake mistake again and i was able to correct it and undo any damage i could have done um but the mediums have changed the social media has changed everything and now anybody can tweet and put out news and i don't know if you know this yesterday sports illustrated reported. Sports Illustrated. I mean, that's a pretty reputable magnet yes. Even though they just sold sold it and fired everybody, but they reported that Clay Helton, the coach at USC, had mm-hmm. been fired,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: everybody picked it up. Bleacher Report, everybody, and it wasn't true.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And they had to retract it. And I thought, how does that happen in this day and age? I can see someone tweeting it, or you know, you can get the Onion, and a lot of people believe the Onion, which I, I miss mean, the Onion's hilarious, but um, It just, it bothered me that people would just pick it up and people just copy each other. They just, you know, oh, well, Sports Illustrated ran with it. We should run with it. No, you can't just do that. You have to double confirm it. And I know Clay Helton, I'm sure it hurt him. And I'm sure, well, he's heard these things before, but um, you have to know the rules. And a lot of people who are tweeting and Facebooking and Instagramming and tick whatever the heck it is out there now. They don't know the rules. And so before you jump to a conclusion, know the rules. and Know what legitimate journalists have done to get their information. And I'm surprised that Sports Illustrated did that. But again, it's changed so much. They have, you know, downsized and they're not paying people. And that's when the quality hurts.
1: Well, it feels like with social media... It's become more important to be first than right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. But I think an actual rule of journalism is it's more important to be right than first.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And and I I was in, this is kind of a morbid story, but I was in laying on the gurney, going into radiation, and I had my phone in my hand because Lamar Odom was getting ready to decide whether he was going to re sign with the Lakers or he was going to be a free agent. And so, I'm like, I can't go in yet. I can't go in yet. Like, like, leave me out in the hallway. And I had my phone and and I finally got the call and I called it in and I got beat by a minute, a minute by someone in my, from ESPN in my own company. And so I thought, well, I'm never going to do that again because that's ridiculous. That's just stupid. putting off my radiation because of Lamar Odom. But you know, that's, that's the business and it's so competitive and everyone wants everything from everyone. And it's really hard. hard, It gets, it's the hardest it's ever been in my career right now because it's just hard to get things. But again, if it was easy, everybody would do it. So that's what I, my mantra these days. It's a good, it's a good mantra and
1: it's true. Mm -hmm. So I guess someone along those lines, I was going to ask, What is maybe the number one mistake that you see women, and maybe it's not just women, but people making, breaking into the sports industry and in this age of social media, what is, if you were, if you knew someone starting their career, what is one piece of advice you would give them to make sure they do do and then to make sure they don't do?
2: Well, always double-check your facts. Think before you push send on anything Um, work harder than anyone else, learn everything you can about the industry and the different forms of the mediums that you're wanting to work in. And just be smart. You know, the kids I had last night at USC, they're the smartest kids. They go, you say that to every class. I go, no, I don't. You guys are the smartest class I've ever had. And we were debating. And usually these kids are debating and they're just not good. But these kids were so sharp. And I thought, wow, they passed me by, (laughs) but, uh, read everything you can get out and and don't hide behind email. I, if I, we have, I have another class I teach that you have to get someone to come in and do it like a TV show, like an Oprah type show. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I emailed her three times. And I said, don't hide behind emails, get out, go knock on the door. And it's not comfortable. It's not easy. But go out and, and ask her and, you know, ask the person you want and, and don't hide behind emails or phone calls or uh, if you if can, you know, sometimes you have no choice. But uh, we have people who are talent bookers who are on the phone all the time. Mm-hmm. And I still don't believe that that's a way to get someone to go on air. OK, I'm, I, I got a guest coming up, the one I was telling you about that I don't want to jinx it, but I went to everything he was involved in, every banquet, every speech, and I got him. But I don't want to jinx it. So I don't want to tell you who it is. Well, I'll tell you off off the air Well, when is this going to air, this podcast? Uh,
1: It's going to air uh, in the next month.
2: Okay. Jerry West. Okay. That's who it was. And I went to, yeah, that's okay. He knows. He knows about it. I just don't want anybody else to know about it.
1: I will. if um, you want me to? But, I can cut it out of the recording
2: if you want. I don't, it doesn't really matter.
1: It's it's up to you. Um,
2: yeah, no, it's it's okay. You can leave it in. Okay. Um, but I went to a speech that he gave, and he's very shy. And I hosted a dinner, and I. Uh, went to a different speech, and I went to a class that he spoke at, or I was going to go, but I didn't end up going, and I finally said, all right, I just got to go through PR, but I did, but you just got to, you cannot just email somebody and expect them to say, yes, okay, I'll do that, especially if it's somebody who's not comfortable speaking in front of people, but, and that's Jerry, and he's a wonderful man, but he's, he's very busy, and he's very picky, um, but he said, yes, so, you know, you never know. Unless you ask and you go after something, you never know. So that's, I guess that's my biggest advice is don't hide behind emails and telephone calls if you can. Hmm.
1: I think that's that's good advice. It kind of goes back to what we were talking mm-hmm. about at the beginning, the difference between being persistent, that fine line. But mm-hmm. if you and, and what you've said throughout the podcast, if you work harder than everybody else and you're more persistent, then you are more likely
2: mm-hmm. to get what you want. And I think that's right. I did I did draw the line at going to the strip club to find Lamar. Although I was, at that point I was a little desperate. So I'm like, maybe I should just go to the strip club. Oh, that would be great front page news. Shelly Smith goes to the strip club in <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that. So that's the perils of, of being known in the business. There are a lot of much, you know, wonderful things about being known in this business and having that credibility. But that would not be one of them. That would have been a bad decision on my part.
1: That's fair. That's very funny. Mm-hmm. Though yeah. the, the image of it is great. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the guy, have you seen Lamar Odom? Have you seen Lamar Odom? Um, yeah. Excuse, but, me. But, excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. That is very funny. So you've been lucky enough to write a couple of books, one with Keyshawn mm-hmm. Johnson, which, which I would imagine was a really – Great experience. I'd love to hear more about that. And then one specifically about female athletes. It was horrible. Oh, see, there we go. All right. Let's start with Keyshawn.
2: Well, they went one in 15 that year. So there was no happy, you know, we won the game. They were one in 15. I had to like listen in on his conversations with other people and write down what he was saying. And then, and he absolutely thinks he typed it himself. But it was a good experience in that he trusted me to do it, and we'll be friends forever. James Girls Play, on, on the other hand, was um, written for my daughter, who is a soccer player, and she ended up playing at Oregon, and was all Pac-12, or wow. Pac-10, or whatever it was at that point. And she was having a lot of trouble with issues that affect female athletes, like parents yelling at them from the sidelines, um, eating disorder, she didn't have an eating disorder, but eating disorders, um, you know, training too hard. And and so my book agent hooked me up with a woman who's a sports psychologist who had been wanting to write a book on the very same topic. And I said, oh my gosh, this will help my daughter. I'm in. So we did that. And it was a very enlightening book. And I think still a lot of the rules still pertain. And it was, you know, sexual assault, sexual abuse. And I'm sure the natural an investigation would have been major in this book but we obviously didn't know about it um but it was a interesting book to write and then i also wrote herm edwards book which was life lessons which i, I really enjoyed that and he he's an amazing guy and he he and his wife uh, are just terrific and they just beat who they just beat at ASU or oh, they beat Oregon mm-hmm. and so he's having a lot of success at Arizona state and um, they're, they're really fun to be around, so that was a great book to write too. And then I started writing a book on Al Davis, mm-hmm. and then he died. He died, and so I had to change all the he is to he was. Mm-hmm. No, not really. I mean, I did, I did, but um, it was just too, it was too hard. There are people who wouldn't talk about him. They were afraid of him. They're even afraid of him in death. And I mean, I haven't given up on it, but I'm pretty close. But I have all my notes, and I have good stuff from. When he was alive, but I, I thought he would cooperate with me, and he ended up not cooperating with me. In fact, he called and disguised his voice. I'm sure it was him or one of his flunkies.
0: You know, oh, yeah,
2: you can't write this book, Mr. Davis. You know, I'm just like, what? You know, I've just never heard of such tactics. And so that one's still in my filing cabinet, but we'll see. Maybe someday.
1: Is there anything in this industry that still surprises you?
2: Um. Well, that did. Um, <laughs> that's, so, that's what made me think. So, <laughs> <laughs> I know he's so weird that it doesn't really surprise me. Um, you know what? I don't like the Players Tribune. I think it gives too much license to the athletes, and they can write whatever they want. They love it, but I don't like it because there's no checks and balances. You can write anything you want, and there's nobody saying no. That's not true, or that's in, you know that's not fair, um, and that didn't happen that way. And, and that's the way real journalism is. And the Players Tribune, they get a lot of players who just want to get their message out, and that's how they do it. So uh, that surprised me that that took off. I like Derek Jeter a lot, and I'm sure he thought it was a great idea, and I'm sure he still thinks it's a great idea. But I just I wish athletes wouldn't do that because there's nobody. Checking them, you know what I mean. So you can come out and you can be Lamar Odom and say, "Oh no, I didn't. I didn't do any drugs. I didn't go to that brothel." When you know for a fact he did, you know. So I'm not saying that ever happened, because it didn't. But it's just not good to be able to let someone have free reign like that, without an editor or a journalist checking to make sure everything they write is legal and kosher and everything else that we do.
1: Changing topics a little, um, and then I and then we're going to move into five fun facts, which is my personal favorite part of the podcast. Um, <laughs> I know I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> I do it. I don't. you should check out Shelly. I do them. Um, I do five fun facts with the 49ers players, and uh-huh. we do just like iPhone videos, and I, you know they're short. They're like off the cuff, and they share five fun uh-huh. facts about themselves, and so it's become pretty popular. And and therefore, I've just kind of become known for the fun facts. So we had to make it part of this podcast. So. Um, right, but, we'll, good. but we'll get we'll get to that in a minute. First, though, I'd love to know okay. for you, and this I think would be helpful just generally for people listening. What is a criticism you received early on that may have been very difficult to take, but really helped to shape your career? Well, I
2: remember I told you I made a mistake in baseball, the College World Series, I I was taught, and I just had this conversation with a, another writer, and he remembers it too. I was taught that you always take the biggest number and you use that as your lead. That was the AP style. You know, so-and-so mm-hmm. had, went three for four, blah, blah, blah. Well, I looked down at the score sheet, and I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I wrote, somebody had 18 put and that is just a ridiculous stat, but it was the biggest number I could find. And I didn't even know what a put out was. What it is, is, you know, you throw to first base and that's a put out. Oh, I didn't know and that either. I, was, I love baseball. Yeah, that's I know. Funny. No idea. I, I know. <laughs> and I, I was ridiculed and I, to the point where everybody still remembers it, except for me, but I learned, don't do something without asking. Don't, if you don't, I would rather not ask a question than ask a stupid question. So I will stay quiet. And that was like one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made. And it's still, <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's quite embarrassing. And the fact that people remember it is, and they're like, you, we can't believe you of all people did that. I said, yeah, I know. Um, that's... that's what you asked me, right? What have I done? Yep. 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 That was it. Fortunately. There was one I made recently. I said somebody had not won a Super Bowl and they had won two. And I fortunately caught it before, but I was mortified that I didn't remember that. I don't remember what team it was. Cuz they we helicopter in, that's what they call it. They they say, "All right, go to Florida and do this and go to Memphis and do that and go to Denver and go to, you know, 49ers and so you have to cram like crazy before you go cover a lot of these games. So that's what I end up doing it. And then it goes right out of my head afterwards because I can't remember anything.
1: Well, that's like studying in school. When you cram, you'll remember it for the test, but then you're not going to remember it beyond that, which is fair. Exactly. I think so too. All right. So it's time. Are you ready for five fun facts? I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. So everybody on get my job gets the same five. And that's what really on, on this particular one, that's what makes it fun because we get so many different okay. amazing answers. So number one, okay. what is your favorite moment in
2: sports? When Jake Olson snapped blind during the USC game against Western Michigan a couple of years ago, that was, I, I, I couldn't run. Well, I, this is, you know, my my joint issues. I couldn't run. Mm-hmm. And I I ran down the sidelines to see him snap. And I was, that will still be my favorite moment in sports.
1: That's awesome. That's mm-hmm. what that's good. Uh What is your life motto? Though I feel like you've given us a few throughout the pod, but.
2: um, Well, I, I could give you a joke one, which is, you know, drink more, care less. In fact, we made a <laughs> we made a song a song about it but i guess it's to be nice to everyone you know no matter what and not because it's the right thing to do it's because it makes you feel good and it really does
1: do you have a go to workout though i know with the joints maybe not but
2: uh, yeah right now it's just lifting my arm you know to drink a beer <laughs> 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 no I, I used to do CrossFit and then the joints went out. So now I just joined a gym and I barely uh, ride the recumbent bike. I barely go go in circles, but I will, I will start again in probably a month.
1: I like lifting your arm to drink a beer. That sounds like a good workout. Yeah.
2: You know, why not? Why not? Why
1: not? Uh, Do you have a go-to coffee or tea order?
2: Uh, I'll drink anybody's coffee, gas station coffee um, with cream. Okay. And that's, that's
1: that's very, that's very easy. Well, you can find that anywhere too, which is helpful. Mm -hmm. And then a book every woman should
2: read. Uh, Well, I'm reading Bob Iger's book right now, and I'm not saying this because he's my boss, but it's a really good book on leadership. So I would suggest that one, but I also read just to escape. So anybody's trashy mystery novels I would read, but I think Bob Iger's book. And uh, and again, I know I'm being politically correct, but it's really good. And it's really interesting what's gone on at Disney and with all the uh, movement back and forth. So, But I also like Steryl Sandberg's and Lean In. I thought that was good, too. Okay. I
1: think those are both excellent recommendations.
2: Yes.
0: Well,
1: and Nancy that's... Drew. I, lo- I loved Nancy oh, Drew when I
2: was growing up. Yeah. I
1: love Nancy Drew. She
2: was my favorite. And I used to think that each each number, that as they would number, as they would go up, would be scarier. So like number one wasn't as scary, but number 40 was scarier. But it, that's mm-hmm. not the way it worked. But you were always
1: going to be a journalist. She wasn't a journalist, but she was an investigator. That,
2: yeah. She was a de- detective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah there's, a, there's a lot of what we do is detective work. And oh, another thing I would suggest is learn how to, find open records because open Mm -hmm. records is a really hot commodity these days so hey yeah
1: thank you shelly this has been absolutely fantastic
2: well tracy you're so nice to say that and to call me and let's have lunch next time i'm up there i would love it we'll talk to you soon